Welcome to the second last episode of Silver Screen Superheroes. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This month we follow last month's look at Daredevil with a look at Elektra. Now, Elektra was originally released on January 14th, 2005. This is a spin-off of the Mark Stephen Johnson Daredevil feature, which is why Mark Stephen Johnson gets a motion picture character's credit in the writing credits, along with Frank Miller's comic character's credit. It's directed by Rob Bowman and written by Zach Penn, Stu Zisserman, and Raven Metzer, and was originally released on January 14th, 2005. Now, those who listen to the X-Files podcast that I do are probably familiar with the name Rob Bowman. He's a director who cut his teeth and really made his mark on the X-Files TV series. He's best known for his work directing various episodes of the X-Files, the first X-Files movie, a number of episodes of Castle, which he works on both as director and producer, as well as his work directing 2002's Reign of Fire. Now, Bowman has a distinct and very visual style, and that has been true of all his work. He actually started as associate producer on Riptide and Stingray before moving on to being associate producer on a number of episodes of The A-Team, and then producing 89 episodes of The X-Files, The Pilot of Lone Gunman, 13 of Daybreak, and now 169 episodes of Castle. He's got 39 director credits to his name, again starting with Stingray, but also hitting 21 Jump Street, MacGyver, Alien Nation, 13 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, Quantum Leap, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, and then, as I said, Into the X-Files, Lone Gunman, Reign of Fire, Elektra. He followed this with an episode of Night Stalker, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, Daybreak, Marlowe, right along with Nathan Fillion, Big Thunder Occult, and then 29 episodes of Castle as director. And his highly visual style is apparent here. The story is not complicated, not thrilling, and frankly not particularly good in Electra, but it can be told with almost no dialogue. In fact, he used a pretty minimal amount of dialogue going through the film and just told the story with images. In fact, one could argue that this movie is better if you mute the dialogue and just follow the images, or better yet, have an isolated musical score so that you only hear the music by Christoph Beck. We discussed Mark Stephen Johnson and Frank Miller in the Daredevil podcast last month. So in terms of the people who took their comics and made movie scripts out of them, we have got Zach Penn, the writer who is also and possibly best known for the story behind Last Action Hero, the screenplay of Inspector Gadget, And he also has story credits on X-Men 2, the Fantastic Four video game, X-Men The Last Stand, The Incredible Hulk for story and screenplay, and The Avengers for the story, as well as a few upcoming projects. So not a terribly huge resume, but definitely a lot of comic movies and good comic movies coming into this. Stu Zitcherman has a few less notable things on his resume. If you look at his work as writer, Electra is only his second job. He started on 2000 AD, then Electra, followed by What About Brian, Six Degrees, The Americans, Casanova, and they've announced that he is co-writing Deathlock. Now, his partner on that is Raven Metzner, who was also his partner on this. Electra was his first writing credit, in, as far as the IMDb is concerned, before moving on to What About Brian, Six Degrees, Clue, Daybreak, Falling Skies, Heroes Reborn, Sleepy Hollow, and again, the upcoming Deathlock amongst his 11 writing credits. So these are guys that have some good movies behind them, but they didn't have a whole lot of movies, particularly good ones behind them, 
when they started on this project. Now, it should be noted that when Rob Bowman came over and filmed this, he was coming off the X-Files and he brought some of his X-Files crew with him. Notably, director of photographer and cinematographer Bill Rowe came over. Now, Rowe has directed episodes of X-Files and The Blacklist, but he is best known for cinematography, which he did on, you know, six episodes of Brooklyn South, 84 episodes of The X-Files, Electra, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the second X-Files movie, an episode of The Mentalist, and then 86 episodes of Castle. Editor Kevin Stitt is best known for his work on the original X-Men, Jurassic World, Cloverfield, and Jack Reacher. So Electra is about halfway through his credited career on the IMDb. And production designer Graham Murray was also someone that was brought over from the X-Files. He was production designer on 43 episodes of that series, as well as seven episodes of Smallville, and a few other projects filmed in and around Vancouver. Star Jennifer Garner reprises her role as Electra in what she described as an act of contractual obligation. She was not a fan of this film, although, as with Daredevil, there's nothing wrong with her performance. She actually does quite well given the limited source material to work from. And this was filmed in the summer hiatus between the two series. For Jennifer Garner, it was between two seasons of Alias. For co-star Goran Viznik, it was filmed between two seasons of ER, which is what he is best known for. Although he's also worked on Ice Age, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Beginners, and a number of other series. Kirsten Prout played his daughter. She's best known for this, for Kyle XY, for The Lion Game, and my Super Psycho Sweet 16-2. By and large, we get into the other cast, we see Rob Bowman's emphasis on the visual. There are no two prominent characters that are the same body type. In fact, the only performers who have even a passing similarity to each other are those that are supposed to be related on screen. So, for example, Will Yun Lee, best known as Mr. Gus on True Blood, as Harada in The Wolverine, for his work in San Andreas, and for Spy, here plays Kiriji, and he bears at least a passing resemblance to Kiri Hiroyuki Tagawa, who plays his father. I will always know him as Shang Tsung in 1995's Mortal Kombat, but he was also in Pearl Harbor, Planet of the Apes, Hachi a Dog's Tale, and over 120 other projects, and he is still active today. Now, Terrence Stamp, Harley Dean's introduction. We're talking about General Zod from the first two Christopher Reeve Superman movies, who also appeared in Wanted, in Star Wars Episode One, in The Limey, in Yes Man, and as the voice of Jorel in Smallville. Now, Natasia Malta is best known for This Means War, Electra Like Placid, and DOA Dead or Alive, although she's got 56 credits to her name, four of which are in production. Here she plays Typhoid, who is extremely loosely based on Typhoid Mary from the comics. Typhoid Mary in the comics was a mutant from the Daredevil series who was telekinetic and pyrokinetic and manipulated by the Kingpin to use her multiple personality disorder and her powers to go after Matt Murdock. She was created by Annocenti as well as her team of artists. The Typhoid in the film has little or no resemblance to Typhoid Mary aside from the name and the fact that she's written as a very attractive woman. Bob Sapp plays Stone. He's best known for The Longest Yard, Conan the Barbarian, This, and Blood and Bone. And he's a very large man who was probably cast almost entirely for his visual look. He's a professional wrestler, actor, and former football star. And yeah, he's just a massive individual. Chris Ackerman plays Tattoo, who is able to have his tattoos come to life. This is his first acting credit. Again, not much of a part, probably chose him 
to have a diverse look in the cast. Colin Cunningham plays McCabe, a unique creation for the films. He's got 102 credits behind his name, including The Sixth Day, Falling Skies, and Best in Show. And we do have a brief cameo of Tom Woodruff Jr. as a demon in one quick flashing image of Kariji. He's best known for his work behind the camera as a puppeteer and special effects artist. Known for his work in AVP Alien vs. Predator, Aliens, the original Terminator, and Jumanji, amongst others. I will always know him for Mortal Kombat, where, along with Alec Gillis, he co-created Goro as an animatronic who was balanced well enough and programmed well enough that they could just have him walk with a joystick like a video game character, which was a pretty monumental technological breakthrough and would have had a much greater impact had it not happened shortly after Jurassic Park and the shift from physical props to CGI. The basic story here is that before the film started, the hand resurrected Elektra. Stick and his group trained her and taught her in hopes of fighting the hand, but she was kicked out of the group, became an assassin, and was hired to kill a man, leaving his daughter orphaned, because his daughter is a natural at martial arts and is considered the treasure. And the hand, the evil ninjas, want to recruit her and train her to be one of them. Electra ends up refusing to do the job and taking it upon herself to protect her and her father. And she later learns the entire situation was orchestrated by Stick, her former teacher. Now, the original theatrical cut of this film came in with an R rating rather than a PG-13, not so much for the quantity of violence, but because of the specific content of a few scenes. So Rob Bowman was asked to edit it down to fulfill his contractual obligation to turn in a PG-13 film, and he ended up cutting out three minutes, which were restored for the DVD. Typically, when something is released in January, as this was on January 14th of 2005, that's a sign that the studio doesn't have a lot of faith in it, and that they're trying to put it out in a very low competition time of year. Unfortunately, this seems to fit that pattern. Like I said, the visuals are great, especially the use of lighting and shadows, but the story is pedestrian and predictable. The action is well choreographed, but the plot is a little too convenient. Depends on coincidence and a few unverified and unjustified emotional bonds being formed that are just difficult for the audience to accept. So with a $43 million budget, it ended up grossing about $56.7 million, which is more than 43 but by the time the stars and distributors and marketers and director and so forth all get their share, it definitely lost money. And I can see why. It's not insultingly bad. You know, it's not like it was pandering or just written poorly. It was just slow, simple, and very dependent more so on visuals than audio. And both ends of that are important for film. So it's ultimately got a 4.8 out of 10 on the IMDb, and that's a score that's hard to argue with. I wouldn't recommend going out to check this out unless you just really want to see Jennifer Garner and Natasha Maltha in some skin-tight outfits. And if that's your main motivation, well, you'll definitely find it here. Both women look pretty fantastic in this film. So that's about all we have to say about Elektra. Join us again next month when we wrap up Silver Screen Superheroes with our coverage of The Incredibles, and then come back on the 14th of January when we start Make Me Watch It. Thank you for listening.